Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello, all. Hope you're having a lovely May, getting excited for the summer months. Just wanted to pop in and make y'all aware of some of our new YouTube content. Started doing a daily series of creativity chats. So just little five to 10 minute videos about a different aspect of creativity every day. A way to kind of start your day with some creative inspiration coming from all realms of life, art, neuroscience, pop culture, all the things. So be sure to check out the Art History Babes YouTube channel. Subscribe, like, share with your friends. Also be on the lookout for this month's Patreon Extra. It is an update on our girl Hilma F. Clint. If you are unfamiliar with Hilma F. Clint, you should probably listen to our 2017 episode about her, but she recently has been breaking all kinds of records. So we did a little update on her work and the cultural receptivity to her work. It was a fun episode and that will be hitting Patreon at the end of May. So if you want to hear that, become a patron for as low as $1 a month. You will get access to that episode as well as our entire backlog of Patreon extra episodes. There's probably like 15 at this point. So yeah, lots of good stuff if you become a patron. And of course, thank you to all of our patrons past and present. We very much appreciate you. Shouts out to our producer-level patrons, Sarah Sawachka-Dalton and Teresa Rogers for making the Art History Babes possible. Also, if you haven't, be sure to check out artandobject.com. Great resource for all things art and art history. Kind of stay dialed into what's going on in the contemporary art world. Also learn things about art history. Great resource, artandobject.com. That's all I got for you today. Please enjoy this hot take on a favorite of the Art History Babes. Bojack Horseman. Just a heads up, this episode does contain discussion of sexual assault and intergenerational trauma. Hot takes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Natalie, and we are the Art History Babes. Yeah. <laughs> I like that moment where we're all kind of waiting to see who's gonna say the first thing and then we yeah. all say the first thing. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good moment. Who who's gonna initiate the banter? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it gets edited out, but there's always like a pause between oh, our intro. 
They Why don't need not? To know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be authentic here. I'm trying to be real with the people. <laughs> Do we leave it in one time? Should we leave it in this episode just so they yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> just so they know that we all sit here like in awkward yeah. silence for five just seconds. Just a little treat for you all. <laughs> yeah, I think that we're all about full transparency. So let them know. And all. Let them know that we're just real people being awkward wondering yeah. who should who should speak and who <laughs> should not <laughs> those are the two options that's real that's real we're doing a hot take episode i love hot take Yay. episodes so fun just like let's just talk about something that we like and, yeah you know we're not gonna throw a bunch of heavy facts at you we're just gonna talk about something that we like so what do we like this time Corey and nat we love bojack horseman yes yeah we do newly but yes yeah, yeah well well i'm really excited <laughs> for this. me yeah i'm really excited for this episode because so we decided we wanted to do a hot take on bojack horseman for a lot of reasons that will reveal themselves throughout the course of the episode but jen and i have been fans of the show like since the beginning and we talk about it fairly often and so my idea was like hey me and jen can do this episode together and then nat was gonna come to be like sound operator sound engineer and then to prepare nat you watched an episode or two of the show mm -hmm. so we have a very fresh new eyes to bojack kind of perspective <laughs> coming here yep. which i think is going to be really fun like i think just as someone who literally just watched a couple episodes of the show you'll have I don't know, kind of an interesting insight on the stuff that we talk about. Yeah, I've got a very green perspective. So if you're listening right now and you haven't watched the show or you've only seen a few episodes, stick around. I will be your guide. <laughs> We're going to tell you why we like it. We're going to tell you why you should watch it. And we're also just going to talk about the general state of culture, which I feel really comes through in this show. I think this show is... Mm -hmm very smart and relatable for so many reasons. So let's just jump right in. And not to mention just like little teaser for all of you listeners that maybe are more art history purists. There are also tons of art historical references in this show, if you didn't know. So we will also touch on that a little bit because it's just a fun, a fun little addition that is a constant in the show is their engagement with art history. So, so Bojack Horseman, it aired on Netflix as a Netflix original series in what was it, 2014? Yeah, that sounds Somewhere about right. There's yeah, five seasons. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. So, we've had the show now for a good while, and I remember just binging it when I first started mm -hmm. watching it, and there's a lot of feelings that one experiences when watching this show and i saw this meme i think Corey, you saw it too a while back but it was like funny horseman show but then i it like <laughs> i have it i have it here <laughs> i came to prepared that. <laughs> it's a tweet and it says me i like the funny horse cartoon bojack <laughs> you inherit your parents trauma but you will never fully understand it me haha -ha, the cop's a cat <laughs> <laughs> it really sums up the experience of that show i think in a very clever way there's one episode that sticks with me natalie asked should i or what episode should i start with 
and it's on season four. Mm-hmm. Season four, episode six. And it's like, it's, it's called Piece of Shit. Piece of Shit. <laughs> and it's such a great episode. I think it's one of my favorite episodes because the entire episode is his internal dialogue. Bojack Horseman's internal dialogue just from the minute he wakes up till the end of the episode where he's talking to his possible daughter who knows no spoilers or well we should just say <laughs> there might the be spoilers for a while so there's yeah. gonna be spoilers there might um, be some spoilers but it's also the type of show that like you're not really watching for the suspense you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. like yeah spoilers aren't really gonna ruin anything i don't think but. no but i just love that episode because of that entire idea that we all have a constant internal dialogue happening and a lot of us have a very negative internal voice <laughs> that is constantly berating yourself and putting yourself down or being really hard on yourself. And anyway, I feel like when I saw that episode, because I think season four aired when we were still finishing grad school and I was really feeling that <laughs> and I just watched that episode and was like, I love this show. I relate <laughs> so much to this. But yeah, I think that's a good one for maybe people who are new. I would agree. Starting with it was pretty good. It was pretty good. And not just because it was a good episode, but having you recommend it to me, too. It's just like I felt like I was watching it with you. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) It's like I could see why Jen loves this episode and I fucking love it, too. (laughs) I think, too, I mean, we should also just kind of probably explain to our listeners if they aren't familiar with the show. I mean, an episode like that is really both telling and it's just kind of natural for the show because Bojack Horseman, if you're unaware, he is a anthropomorphized horse that lives in Los Angeles. And he's like, what, in his 40s or 50s? And he was famous in the 90s for being a sitcom star. And the whole show is basically centered around his toxic behavior and his... Yeah, self-loathing and just like all of his problems and how Hollywood is kind of like a hotbed for that kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's a satire. It's a satire of, of fame and Hollywood and that lifestyle. But it's also like very honest and very human, which is funny because Bojack is a horse and not a human. <laughs> so it's very deep and it's very personal. But at the same time, you're like watching this brightly colored cartoon where Mm -hmm. half of the characters are talking animals and so it's this weird juxtaposition of happy absurd cartoon feelings but then like also we're going to address very real trauma and things like self-loathing and like very dark things in a very human way yeah and things like self-harm and substance Mm -hmm. abuse so the kind of I wouldn't say impetus because we wanted to do a hot takes episode on this show for a while, but there's a fresh air with Terry Gross segment and the title alone. I really just laughed because it's called don't be fooled by the talking horse. Bojack is a sadness sneak attack. And that's pretty telling what you can expect from this show. Yeah, definitely. Um, The creator Raphael Bob Waxberg, which is a great last name, (laughs) um, 
See, I uh, thought uh, throughout the interview, I thought it was like Bob was a nickname, like he's Raphael Bob Waxberg. But no, his last name is Bob Waxberg, which is, I know. yeah, that's a cool last name. <laughs> it is cool. He talks about, because Terry Gross, she brings up Mr. Ed. She's like, well, have you ever seen Mr. Ed? You know, and he says, well, yes. Part of the original pitch is this idea of what would Mr. Ed be like behind the scenes or after he goes home. So, like, if we're to assume that Mr. Ed was a real talking horse, what (laughs) is his life after rapping on the set? Which is a crazy thing to think about, but it ends up being this really dark profile on a very complicated figure, this ex 90s sitcom actor Bojack Horseman. And I started to think, what are our sitcom actors doing now that didn't make it huge in Hollywood? What is up with the homie from Friends? You know the one. He was Chandler. I forget his name. Uh, Matthew Perry. What's Matthew Perry? Matthew Perry had a really depressing looking show come out a few years ago that I don't think went on to a second season. And it truly was just sad because he was playing a really depressed guy and it just felt like it was Matthew Perry. It was right. So Bojack gives (laughs) me Matthew Perry vibes. Bojack gives me Bob Saget vibes. I think about Bob Saget a lot when I think about Bojack. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Is Bob Saget okay? I mean, he's, he's not he, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he's in the Full House reboot, but I don't oh, really? know that that means I he's okay. That. <laughs> it, it gives you the uh-oh feeling when he is. He makes yeah. jokes that are like not appropriate. Oh no, Bob Saget. <laughs> I I mean, yeah, I don't know. I actually kind of love the Full House reboot. It's what I think a reboot of that show should be. It doesn't pretend to be anything other than what it is. And it's cheesy, but it's also really self-aware. And Have so, you watched the most recent one, Cor? Yeah. I've watched all of them except that one. So I was just wondering if it's still holding up. I bet you like anyone could come at me with like any criticism of that show and I would agree. Like it's, yeah, it's there. Bad. It's yeah. Like it's cheesy and there's plenty of things to criticize. But I also like as someone who grew up with Full House, loved Full House and like mm-hmm. as someone who is a millennial now, it works like it just works i think they update the right things and yet they keep the right things about the show intact so yeah personally i have just a weird affinity for fuller house (laughs) but that actually that subject these like 90 sitcoms and 90 sitcom reboots is something i wanted to kind of bring up in relation to bojack because this show is so interesting i think for someone from our generation from like older generations in the sense that it deals very heavily with the idea of like the family sitcom that you know we all grew up on if you grew up in the 70s 80s or 90s you grew up with family sitcoms and it deals with the idea of the family sitcom and then also like our cultural nostalgia we have surrounding the family sitcom and how that like actually really affects us personally like i love the I don't remember what season it is, but at one point Diane 
is like getting real with Bojack and she tells him how she was like a huge fan of his show Horsin' Around when she was little because she didn't have a very healthy family situation and it kind of gave her a family. And like as a TV kid, like that hit home for me. Like Full House was kind of a family to me. You know what I mean? And I think that's a very prevalent thing for American culture. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. So I think with like making Bojack this father figure from a sitcom, but yet he's so sad and fucked up. And then also having to just view it culturally as these sitcoms had an immense effect on their viewership, especially their viewership that were children. I think that's just brilliant. Like that's so smart and so so powerful to be doing with, yeah, with a funny horse cartoon, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you essentially took the words right out of my mouth because I was thinking about this idea of revamping old sitcoms that we've been doing. So we did it with Full House. Mm-hmm. Roseanne got revamped, mm-hmm. which that one. So <laughs> Roseanne was my <laughs> sitcom family. Yeah. I have since been heartbroken because of just yeah. how Roseanne ended up becoming this <laughs> problematic sort of <laughs> terrible person. And that brings me on to this thing about the show that especially is being explored in season five, the newest season that made it such an intense season for me is this notion that because we grew up with shows and nostalgia is so powerful, it is devastating to the point where there's a lot of willing blindness among people who grew up with, let's just say, oh, I don't know, the Cosby show. I knew uh-huh. we were going that way. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the power of nostalgia is so intense that a man like Bill Cosby went throughout his entire life essentially just getting away with these terrible things, this rape. He was a rapist. And preying on women. Preying on women, giving women drugs, and then even admitting he has been recorded in a deposition admitting that he would get pills with the intention of giving them to women without their consent. And with those words on official record, there are still people that are defending Bill Cosby that say that, you know, this is an attack on because he's african-american it's it's an attack on the black man who Mm -hmm. made it successfully in the world and all of these people that defend predators and not to say that they are right to do so because they're not they're coming from a very painful place where the thought of the thought of having to admit that someone who may have been like a second father to you Let's mm-hmm. think about people like who grew up watching Cosby show. It was geared towards an African-American audience. This idea of a well-to-do family that's together with a mother and a father and children that are going to college. Like it was really a fantasy for a lot of the people watching the show. And it makes sense that those young people that grew up on something like Cosby show would feel just such a knee-jerk reaction to well- wanting to defend him and and i feel like especially in season five of bojack horseman we have these revelations of him admitting to essentially being in a really inappropriate situation with a minor and whether or not he would have had sex with her 
and then also the entire arc storyline of him and what was the girl's name who was in horsing around who was on a lot of drugs they kind of made it um um, lynn or something or yep yep so you know she goes to rehab and is doing well and then he invites her to go get wasted and then they go on a drug binge for you know who knows how long and and she ods so he's like and not to mention just to kind of like reiterate that that character was his daughter in horsing around so he was actually the father figure to her like he was an actual father figure and then he yeah just totally fucks her over and does the exact opposite of what a father figure should do right and so we're dealing with seeing this man this horseman um <laughs> this horse man like when you're mad at him he turns into this horse man he's this horse yeah. man. Um, <laughs> the show is called bojack horseman we're getting his story and his point of view but also it is exploring these super dark and complicated events that have taken place that make him essentially like a bad person because season five still ends with him being essentially like worshipped and this idea that season five also aired in like the height of the Me Too movement. Yes. It's just all so smart. So smart. There it is. It's super smart. And I want to say a lot more on the whole how he comes out of all this. Yeah, still being worshipped and just season five in general and kind of what's going on there. But first, I think we should take a quick break. Let's take a break. We have returned. We're here. Yes, we are. I hope and you we missed hope... us. Yeah. Is that a bad thing we... to say? I hope you missed us. <laughs> no. I don't just know. We should miss us. I know. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all deserve to be missed. I know. Yeah. N- know your worth. This is this is the year. It's 2019. We know our worth. Okay. Yeah, no, it's true. This is the year of me running around telling like all my friends who are even remotely not as happy as I know that they could be. I'm just like, you deserve the best. <laughs> you deserve everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it, it might be, it might be a little too extreme, but whatever. It's positive. <laughs> yeah. So. No, it's, it is, it is the year we all know our worth and we, we find our best lives. Yeah. And I hope that all of our listeners are also finding their best lives in 2019 and if not then th- there's always 2020 so <laughs> stay positive no worries yeah no worries <laughs> you know the asteroid hasn't hit yet yeah We're still we still have time oh, okay i don't know what point i'm trying to make here but let's get back to bojack we're just trying to say that you're an amazing human being and you can do it and, and we've returned from our commercial break yeah <laughs> We're back. That's all we're trying to say. Oh, my my goodness. Okay. Bo Jack. Okay. So, yeah, we left off. We were kind of starting to talk a bit about season five. And let's see. I like, oh, God, I have so many things to say. I love this show. And I, yeah, so many interesting directions we can go with this conversation. But maybe let's start with Jen. You said something about how, like, still even though season five, because it was kind of created amidst all the Me Too movement and everything, was very 
very aware of that and was really bringing those issues or highlighting those issues within the show. And there is an episode, which is an, an episode that I suggested called Bojack the Feminist. And mm-hmm. it really highlights what you said about how, like, even after all this bullshit, we still kind of see Bojack on like a pedestal or like still being widely loved. And the episode, I think it just does a great job of highlighting the issues with feminism just as like a consumerist thing and like feminism as a popularity thing and how celebrities, specifically male celebrities, present themselves as feminist. Yeah. And at the time when that episode aired, I was in the heyday of my tindering. And I, I mean, it wasn't just Tinder. I was on like Bumble and Hinge and whatever. I just, you know, because at that point I was like, whatever, let's just see. Throw out a wide net. This is fun. I thought it was fun, but it was also (laughs) just was kind of killing me inside with the amount of men that use these taglines on their bios of like the future is female feminism is you know it just i don't know it's just things like that and then you actually start to talk to these men and then i'm like you're just like every other guy like there's nothing that but grosser because you're using a positive message to get laid yeah and i i really got that if the bojack the feminist episode he's wearing that shirt this yeah. is uh, <laughs> feminism is bay which i don't know what that's supposed to mean but it's like okay he's just got like a, he just has a pink shirt on that says feminism is bay and he's like telling he's basically like oh yelling at diane like why are you not basically fixing why aren't career? you as yeah, like, yeah. She had just moved out of Mr. Peanut Butter's house and she's living in this horrible apartment in downtown LA and there's just boxes everywhere and she's super depressed and he's just in there with his pink shirt like feminism <laughs> is bay and he's like chastising her about himself because he just needs her to do things for him and it just was so And this is also Right after she took the time and put in, you know, the emotional labor to sit Mm -hmm. there and try and essentially give him a lecture on why we need to be aware of the content that is being created and like, you know, how anti-feminist views become normalized. And she like took the time to do that. And then, yeah, after the fact, Bojack is basically mad at her for his issues while wearing a fem- feminism is bay t-shirt <laughs> and at this point in the episode two bojack has become a weird hollywood poster boy for feminism because he literally says on it's basically a parody of like the view and he's on the show and he's he says what is it like women, women shouldn't, shouldn't be, be choked Yeah, women shouldn't be choked. And then everyone like hails him as this amazing like feminist and um, (laughs) the greatest thing to ever happen to women. (laughs) Exactly. Everyone's like so happy. And then because one of Bojack's main things is he just wants to be loved and adored. Like, I mean, that's one of the underlying themes of the whole show is he just wants to be loved and seen. And so he's getting attention and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm a feminist. 
and then he's getting all this t- attention for being a feminist. And he says, I think to Diane, he says, it turns out the problem with feminism all along was it's just not men doing it. Yep. <laughs> Which uh... is like such a good line. Like <laughs> that idea is. It's just so smart and it's so real because obviously if you can analyze that statement for five seconds, you can recognize, you know, how it is rooted in patriarchy, right? Absolutely. There's a great scene from the show High Maintenance on HBO. It's my favorite episode. I don't remember which number it is, but it's called Fagan. (laughs) There are these women preparing for some sort of like women's march or something and they're all just very, very left Whatchamacallit. Sorry, I'm like... I don't know, man. But what's the S word? Satire? Okay. They're like a satire of left-wing women. So they're just so over the top. And one of them at one point... Like they're talking about male allies or something. And they're like, but the problem is like when they validate us, that is like a problem. Like we don't need men to validate that we're doing something right. Anyway, it's like the exact opposite side of the same joke of like these women, like turning it into a thing where men helping them is like offending them. And then in this situation, like Bojack being like, oh, you just need men. That'll solve it all. People will listen to you now. Oh, gosh. You just reminded me of something that. I was having a little bit of an aside, but I thought it was still, it's still relevant. After my very (laughs) relevant comment. (laughs) I was having some beers with a girlfriend last night and we were just talking about, you know, how we've all lived these different lives and there's certain parts of your life that don't feel real sometimes. When you Mm -hmm. think back on like 10 years ago, you're just like, wow, was that really me? And so she was telling me about this phenomenon that's been occurring with her, but she was saying to me how much she valued our friendship because we've been friends since high school. And she was like, when we hang out and I talk about exes or just things that I was doing 10 years ago, I feel like you validate my existence because all of these men that I had all these relationships with don't talk to me anymore. And I sometimes feel like periods of my life didn't exist because these men that I was interacting with or dating at the time are completely removed from my life and I don't have contact with them anymore. And that made me <laughs> so such a heartbreaking thought. That made me so that's, upset. That's deep, man. That's oh. that's real. It's like kind of a sweet nostalgic thought if you take the gender out of it, but the not feeling seen because these men who she obviously was very into right don't see her anymore like right. that's the heartbreaking feeling and I, I mean i can relate to that feeling for sure right and so i think that an element of that comes into play when a man who is in a position of power so anyone in the public eye celebrities politicians what have you will say something so obvious and like duh that it shouldn't be a big deal but we still celebrate it because it's like, oh, look at you being a, a, <laughs> a decent, decent person. Human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I never really got into the whole Fifty Shades thing, but I no, no, no. I, but I like the <laughs> actor who plays the guy mm-hmm. that he's that Irish actor, babe. Anyway, he was on some morning show I was watching, and he was talking about how people were like 
really applauding him for being such a gentleman. And he's like, the things that they're celebrating me for, we would finish like a really like kind of gnarly sex scene. And then I would go grab a blanket and like cover her because she'd be tied up or something. He's like, and people would act like, oh my God, you're such a nice guy. Why wouldn't you do that? Like what kind of person would yeah. like, stop trying to make me feel good for this? Like He was actually like bothered by it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, look at yourself if you think that that's a big deal. Like, look at right. yourself in the mirror if that seems like an over-the-top gesture to you. Right. So, bottom line, don't choke women. <laughs> and cover them if they're naked and they want to be covered. <laughs> so, so we're starting there. We're starting there. On that same subject, though, I do want to go back. You brought it up a little bit already, Jen, but kind of on the subject of, I don't know, like male allies, if you want to call them. This Fresh Air episode with the creator, Raphael Bob Waxberg. Dope last mm-hmm. name. I know. <laughs> so <laughs> I adored this interview. I actually heard it a few months ago when I was like road tripping. So I had this moment on New Year's Eve this year. And I'm not saying that this is my definitive answer, but I was asked on New Year's Eve, what was the best thing I heard in 2019? And one of the first things that popped into my head was this interview. Like, that's how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I adore Terry Gross, too. Like, Mm -hmm. she's obviously audio broadcasting goals, 100%. Absolutely. And I feel like she asks him a lot of really great questions and... Yeah, this aired in October of 2018. I listened to it right when we talked about doing a hot take, and then I listened to it again this morning. So the fact that it was so appropriate with contemporary events, so season five really coinciding with the height of Me Too. So and now, at this current moment of us recording in January of 2019... There's the huge, and it shouldn't be huge because we done known, but there's a six part docuseries out on the horrific sex crimes perpetrated by the R&B singer R. Kelly, who was in many ways the sound of my adolescence, you know, yeah, you definitely where mm-hmm. can go anywhere without hearing. I believe I can fly. And remix you know, to ignition, man. Re- oh, I mean, man. I'm sorry. Like these songs, I'm saddened. Because, you know, my favorite party song has been, historically, yeah. Feeling on Yo Booty by <laughs> R. Kelly. And <laughs> now I can't really listen to that song. You can't and, even get through saying the title no, I know, because nope. it's just like, oh, and here's the thing, though. No more feeling on your booty. No more. Do not feel on the booty anymore, R. Kelly. <laughs> You've been canceled. Leave that booty alone. <laughs> it's horrible. And so... Recently, one of my favorite podcasts called Behind the Bastards. I <laughs> love name. this podcast. I love this podcast. It's on the How Stuff Works Network, and I highly recommend it. Robert Evans is the host, and he goes through and tells the story of horrible, usually men in history who have committed crimes. And so he has a two-parter that just aired last week, last week being like January 10th. I don't know when this is going to air, but anyway, he does a two-parter on R. Kelly. And while I love the podcast, I was a little bit disappointed because his and his guests' approach was doing something that I feel I noticed in BoJack Horseman, which is looking to the past to see what this person's upbringing was like 
as a way to kind of justify or at least explain why they are the way that they are today. And it's no secret, I think, that R. Kelly even has... He has a very famous GQ interview that he did where he describes the sexual abuse that he endured as a young boy. And he talks about it in his autobiography. And so this podcast gets into it and talks about his upbringing and how he was abused sexually by a family member when he was very young and had a lot of very traumatic things happen to him as he was growing up. And there's an element of this to Bojack with his relationship with his mother and his parents and how he grew up wanting to be loved and seen and didn't feel that. And so in a way, the show, it goes back and forth from present day to when he was a little boy, back to present day and sort of juxtaposing the lack of love that he felt as a young boy with then how he treats people as an adult. I feel like I really respect the creators of BoJack Horseman for doing this because I don't feel like they try to make you sympathize with BoJack, but I do feel they are highlighting something that we do in culture when we're confronted with a bad man. We have to go and or, find why, why, what happened to him? Why is he like this? Or when we're confronted with something bad in ourselves. True. Like, I think that's such a human thing. And yeah, I think we do it culturally too, is like anything bad that we have done or anything that we frame as bad or anything anyone else has done, exactly like our instinct is okay, what in our past made us do this? Which is not necessarily going to answer your question, you know, but I think it's just something we do constantly. We want to find some kind of answer in our past to like understand this behavior. Yeah, which in itself is not a bad move. Right. Just finding the root of some of your habits or behaviors or tendencies, like that's not bad. But then what you do from there, like don't use that as a crux, mm -hmm. then justify bad behavior, use it as a tool to work through it. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. where you go from that initial recognition that kind of makes or breaks. Because the people who mm -hmm. just use their past experiences as justification for bad behavior again and again and again, it's just obnoxious and mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely immature and mm -hmm. come on, work through it. But yeah, but when people actually can use it is what we should be trying to do. Go see a therapist. Right. I think that the point that I'm trying to make is that we do this a lot for horrible people. Where mm -hmm. we, we want to find answers, which is a naturally human thing to want to do. When someone acts so outside of the societal norm, when someone does things like murder or rape or just hurt people, we want to know what happened to them. Why did they snap like this? This isn't normal. Something must have happened. And I think that that's fine to do. But my problem is when it becomes, well, they were abused. So that's why they did this. And it almost takes away ownership. Exactly. Yeah. Like, responsibility. And I noticed this a lot. And I mean, some of my favorite moments in Bojack Horseman are the flashbacks to his family life. And then oh, even, me too. they're so good and they're just so like yeah. you know, heartbreaking. And, and then it goes even further to flashbacks to his mother's 
upbringing and what she endured. And so there's this generational trauma that comes out with Bojack and it reminds me of that annoying quote that's like hurt people hurt people <laughs> yeah you know and realize 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 oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, out of my yeah face. no definitely <laughs> uh, anyway yeah and i think it hurts me to, to think about the fact that every time that something culturally relevant comes out there's always some horrible thing happening in pop culture that is reflected in our media that we're consuming at the time. So I think that maybe something that I like about BoJack Horseman is that it takes these very human real things that are happening currently in culture and essentially makes them somewhat palatable in the form of a colorful cartoon with, you know, mm-hmm. talking, talking horse that can make you laugh. Yeah. Something that <laughs> yeah. Maybe makes you want to cry. Exactly. I have definitely cried uh, at BoJack Horseman. Oh my god, me too. Like, I cried today watching Bo- BoJack Horseman, actually. <laughs> I just um, cried today for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> so to be completely honest, I love this show and it's great, but my favorite episodes are by far the, like, really heavy ones. That's yeah. just me and my broody self. Like, I really like the heavy episodes. And two of my absolute favorite episodes, both I watched today, One of them would be the episode, it's like towards the very end of season four, where it does exactly what you were just talking about. It's the one where it basically goes into Bojack's mom's past, Mm -hmm. and it lays out everything that happened in her memories that led to why she's so attached to that baby, that like baby doll when... I know. Yeah. And that would break uh, my Yeah. Heart. And then I know I cried. Oh God. <laughs> and, and it also just lays the foundation for exactly who Bojack is and who Bojack was going to be while also humanizing his mother, who is not a great character. Like no. his mom is a bitch, you know, like, but she also had a shitty life too. It, so it, it does that same thing with his mom. And yeah. And it takes you through this whole journey of her memories to. I won't spoil it, but a really just heartbreaking moment at the very end of the episode. Likewise, my other easily my favorite episode of the season, maybe one of my favorite episodes of the show was from this season, season five, Free Churro, the eulogy episode. Oh, yeah. Where, oh, man. It is brilliant. The entire episode, an entire episode of Bojack Horseman, which is, you know, roughly 30 minutes is a single scene. It's a eulogy for a whole episode, and it's perfect. Like, I thought it was just one of the most brilliant things I'd ever seen in this cartoon sitcom format. Like, have you ever seen anything like that before? Like, is that just me? No, I've never seen anything like that before. I don't think that I've... I mean, and I've watched a lot of cartoons, and I... Me too, man. (laughs) I just don't... It's just very out there. It's very outside of what I come to expect from an animated TV show. And I brought it up earlier, but this show, it takes so many like liberties with, and I, I wouldn't even say it's taking liberties. I should change that. It's just, it experiments with different narrative formats in such an interesting way. What with like heavy flashbacks going back and forth, back and forth, or like free true, just the single scene of him at 
this eulogy for who he assumes is his mother and then ends up yeah um (laughs) um on that note i talked about it at the beginning of this episode but the one that has always stuck with me and i think is my favorite episode is that season four episode six piece of shit just and then i loved it also because all of his internal thoughts it's like a more rough caricature in the animation style so his thoughts are animated in this more kind of childlike fashion and so like you know that you're like in his head and hearing what's happening in his head but i just love that one if you're someone like me who struggles with really intense intrusive thoughts all the time and they can get so loud that you really lose yourself and i felt like they did a great job of just showing what that looks and feels like and mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved it. I was like, wow, the creators of this show truly understand self-loathing and just Yeah, darkness. they get it. Yeah. <laughs> but while still having an awesome sense of humor. Yeah. And that's that actually like, yeah, goes back to once again, that awesome fresh air interview with our boy Raphael Bob Waxberg. He like brings it up at the beginning of it. He fell in love with these illustrations that a friend of his was doing and he really liked like the style of it. And then he even says something about how he brought all the sadness and self-loathing and stuff to the table. So like, you know that it comes from a very real personal place for him that this, totally. this character and, and what it deals with comes from a personal place. Also, I loved in that interview, and this kind of ties into a lot of these things we're talking about with just contemporary culture and Me Too and how to make your way through all of this as a comedian and as a creator and as a human. And I think that's another reason I adored this interview so much is because... Terry Gross asks some great questions and really like lays out on the table like there have been issues where you've been called out about certain jokes from earlier seasons and like mm. what do you have to say about that and she even asks for specific jokes that he maybe like regrets putting in the show and stuff and I think he just gives the best most honest authentic response and it is in no way like he really takes on his position and his responsibility as like hey I'm a comedian and I'm trying to navigate this too, but I fuck up. And he brings up this really great example of how in an early season, there was a joke in the show that was made basically about native Alaskan people. Mm -hmm. And it was made from Bojack Horseman. And so from the creator standpoint, the idea is Bojack's a shitty person. So if he makes this shitty joke, like you're not supposed to like it, you're not supposed to like him. So to the creator, it was justified, right? And then someone, a native Alaskan person pointed this out to Bob Waxberg and said that, you know, it offended him and it upset him because he really likes the show. And Bob Waxberg, he says it perfectly. And I, I just wish we could all just internalize this and realize this. He was like, just because like my intention was good. And just because I wasn't doing it with the intention of being offensive doesn't mean it didn't offend someone. And I don't get to tell that person that they're not offended. And he really like takes responsibility for the fact that he hurt someone there and he needs to do better. And then he goes on to say how like a lot of comedians, they just want like a pass or something because they're comedians. And it's just like the perfect line. He says, who says comedy should be easy? 
who says just because we're comedians that we shouldn't, you know, have to work at it and shouldn't have to like be held accountable for these things. And to me, like it's taking responsibility and it's trying to grow from this situation. Whereas we see so often with contemporary culture, I think, you know, we all just want to shrink back and pretend we didn't do something wrong Mm -hmm. instead of grow. And he says it just so authentically and so straightforward, like, you know, I should have done better there. Like he should have. And like, I think that's what we all want to hear. I think we all just want to hear that people want to do better and like become better people. So I don't know, for me personally, that was for a show I already loved. Hearing that from the creator just like made me love it so much more. Yeah, it's so much more powerful than always saying the right thing. Yeah. Being able to take ownership for when you do make a mistake, because inevitably we will all make mistakes and say things wrong and offend people without meaning to. Like it happens, but taking ownership versus trying to cover your tracks or over explain why someone shouldn't feel the way they feel mm-hmm. is such a mature mm-hmm. step coming from a TV creator. It's uh, refreshing. All right. How about we take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the art involved in Bojack Horseman. Because mm-hmm. this is an art podcast. We're back. All right. Hello. We're going to talk about some art. (laughs) We were just having a really fun conversation about niacin. And now we're going to shift gears (laughs) to talk a little bit about the art of Bojack Horseman, which is visually, I think it's just stunning. I think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the vision behind just the inception of Bojack Horseman came from the relationship between the creator, Raphael, and his friend, Lisa Hannibal, who is an illustrator and animator, and she has a blog, which is lisahannibal.com, but also she's had some comic books and graphic novels out when she's got one that came out in 2018 called coyote dog girl it's a western adventure comic and it's in the same vein as bojack horseman so relatively human looking bodies with animal heads and she uses ink and watercolor. I read an interview with her. She does not like using canvas. So she paints on paper and builds delicate washes of color. And uh, I just, I love the simplicity, but also they're just really good drawings. So Lisa Hannawal created these beautiful creatures that are half human, half animal. However, you may want to divvy up the halves is up to you. (laughs) Um, And they're just lovely. She has all these different characters. There's Tuca the Toucan, which is a bird woman. There's a great comic on her site about how once a month Tuca's hormones surge and she has to improve her nest. And then she makes this beautiful nest and lays an egg and then afterwards is not interested in it at all. And I'm like, wow, every woman can relate to that feeling. (laughs) And I dispose of my egg and the cycle begins again. Yep. Oh my God. And she's frying the egg in a (laughs) frying pan at the last panel there. So I encourage you to look up Lisa Hannawalt because she's a wonderful artist and just these human animal hybrids that she creates are so fun. Aside from 
how beautiful the art in BoJack Horseman is, another part of the show that drew us to it as art historians is the just plethora of art historical references in the cartoon itself. So, Corey, I know you have a couple favorites. Mm-hmm. I'm excited um, for this part. Yeah, this will be fun. I do want to say just a couple of things on the actual illustration of Bojack Horseman. When you're talking about Lisa Hannawalt's like style, and yeah, maybe it is just being like an art historian and an art geek, but watching that show, the simple things she does with her characters, like if you notice Bojack... His character, like his coat, his mane, his color, it's like multi-tonal. And there are like really interesting like brush strokes, which I remember having a moment where that stood out to me as like, that's not common, nor is it necessary for a cartoon character. You know, there's no reason for Bojack not to just be like plain brown. But he has these really like beautiful little like brush strokes Mm -hmm. in his coloring and simple stuff like that that I think just adds so much to the beauty of the illustrations themselves. So oh, yeah, just totally. just like a moment of appreciation for for her work there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. If you take a moment and just pause any scene in BoJack Horseman and just start to pay attention to the textures, you're going to be blown away by the amount of care and detail mm-hmm. that is put into every single frame. And mm-hmm. yes, so Lisa Hannibal, I love it. Yeah. Also, while you were talking, I'm, I'm full of thoughts right now. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking about like hybrid animals and thinking back to our ancient Greek monsters episode. Oh, yeah. And I just had a moment where you were like explaining that bird character and stuff and like how we talk about Bojack and. I wonder if ancient Greeks were like making these hybrid animals just to like have a good laugh, you know, like I wonder, <laughs> like we, for sure. we like to think of it as this like big heavy thing that they were doing, but maybe it was just like, ha ha ha, like I'm going to put a bird's head on a person's body, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> funny ancient <laughs> comedy, funny <laughs> horse man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. It's true because we definitely, we took an entire seminar on ancient Greek monsters and bodies and, and how the monstrous was called forth to give a physical presence to these horrific taboo things that humans want to disassociate from. But maybe they just thought it was really funny to put yeah, a, right? a horse head on a person or, you know, yeah, like this animal has a snake coming out of its back for some reason. Oh my gosh. I found a couple of great articles that take all the art historical references mm-hmm. in Bojack and have listed them. So I'm ready to talk about this because yeah, there's some really good ones. Like you can Google and get like multiple complete lists of all the art historical references in Bojack. Yeah, we're going to pick out some favorites and kind of hash them out a little bit from an art historian's point of view. I think to start us off, we kind of have to start with one of my favorites. And I think the quintessential Bojack Horseman art history reference would be the Bojack David Hockney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. Like it is. I think the Bojack David Hockney is better than the actual David Hockney portrait of an artist. I love um, it. Didn't Portrait of an Artist recently sell for mm-hmm. some astronomical figure 
Yeah. It sure did. It, it sold sure for a, did. For a stupid amount of money. And if you're unfamiliar, it's a David Hockney painting, and it is a self-portrait of him standing on the edge of a pool in L.A., and then there is another him, I guess, like him again in the pool swimming, and he's staring down at it. So there's two self-portraits in the painting, and it's a great painting. I have always really enjoyed it. It was what painted in 1972. And it represents loneliness and detachment and a lot of inner things that Hockney was dealing with and a lot of things that are kind of associated with L.A. in a weird way. Mm -hmm. And it's so perfect for that to be the painting that's hanging above Bojack Horseman's desk. You know, it's so representative of the character of Bojack Horseman. And I think it's brilliant. I googled it so that I could follow along, and I found an article titled, Remember When This $80 Million Hockney Painting Was Parodied? Oh my gosh. So Remember when? I love, <laughs> I love the David Hockney, but one of my favorites, and I forgot about it until I found it on this list on a site called doingtherightthing.org. It is an episode in Season 2, Episode 9. So, Bojack... Or it's Princess Caroline, Todd, and like a few other characters break into a gallery. And Princess Caroline is taken by this serene painting by Thomas Kincaid. Mm. And she starts to imagine what her life could be in this like painting where she's like living in the painting. But my favorite thing about it is the title that they gave it on the show. So Thomas Kincaid. For those that maybe the name isn't as familiar, I know that I grew up seeing Thomas Kincaid everywhere. Mm -hmm. And he was very financially successful, but his art was always dismissed as kitsch, which, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of is. Kitsch it is. is. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's, it's always like these kind of houses that are like glowing in the mm -hmm. distance. Anyway, the title of the painting is called Fuzzy Glowing Nonsense. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> and it seems like they made a connection in the show. Princess Caroline has a established connection with Thomas Kincaid because um, mm -hmm. when they do one of her background stories, there's a Thomas Kincaid hanging on the wall behind the couch at her mother's house. And so I feel... Personally, like I really identified with how she has these comforting feelings from Thomas Kincaid because I remember growing up, you could buy these Thomas Kincaid paintings, like reproductions of them at like Costco. Mm -hmm. And my mom loved those and would buy them and put them in the house. And so there's a very kitschy commercialized art that the regular person could attain. And it was stuff like Thomas Kincaid. Yeah, I definitely wanted to bring that one up, too, because that was another episode I actually watched today was the episode of Princess Caroline kind of having flashbacks to when she was a teenager and, you know, her life when she lived in the South and and how she felt she had to, like, create a bigger life for herself, which is why she became this hotshot agent in L.A. And I really like this episode because it was a deep dive into Princess Caroline, who is a character I also really love and connect with in some ways. And yeah, I thought that was such a clever little thing. So in her 
childhood living room, basically, in the South. They also have one of the the lamps from A Christmas Story, the leg lamp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is like a classic lower middle class thing. And I related to that, too, like growing up with things like Thomas Kincaid and A Christmas Story and like, yeah. We didn't have it, but I remember, I remember my dad making jokes about it a lot. Like, <laughs> I remember it being like a thing. We definitely had dogs playing poker. 100% had dogs oh, playing poker. And that was yeah. an opportunity to make a fragile joke ever, <laughs> ever to this day. Yeah. Yep, that was as fragile and Dan is making a fragile joke. Yep, that was my dad too, for sure, for sure. So I think, yeah, throwing Thomas Kincaid in there, it's just a great reference to the things that were culturally important to a certain group of people in America at this time. It's just really smart. And as an art historian, I love making those kind of connections. I think, yeah, brilliant. Just brilliant. Especially for like what we're trying to do with this podcast is it's such an awesome meeting of quote unquote Mm -hmm. high and lowbrow art of using references, but also just using visual representations or like triggers that like back to something, something that's super simple. But there's all these layers because it's, you know, a visual that sparks something, some memory created by an artist who's like a temporary artist. There's a lot going on. They're making references to art historical things. This show is it's pulling me in hard. And on that same note, they do things. There are some really just good moments and good episodes where they do just full flashbacks, where they go back to the 90s, they go back to the 80s, they go back to like 2007. And they do this great job of creating a very immersive Like, this is 2007. This is 1999. Like, it is. It's visual cues. It's music. It's fashion. And they're just very specific cultural cues to create uh, nostalgia or to create a connection. And yeah, and then the, the fact that they're so wisely using art historical references as well. It's just great. Yeah, you know, a lot of the inclusion of these art historical references goes back to Lisa Hanawalt, who's also a mm-hmm. co-producer of the show. And she studied, according to this hyperallergic article titled The Hidden Art Masterpieces in Bojack Horseman, she studied fine art at UCLA. And so having the ability to work on this show, having this creative outlet, she just really took to it. And everything from like what you were talking about, like the creating an immersive world of a particular point in time, so like when Bojack first makes it big with horsing around, he has his place decorated with Keith Herrings, which mm-hmm. were would have been like contemporaneous during the time that his show was on the air in the late 80s, early 90s. And so things like that, things like everything down to a shepherd fairy, like the Obey Giant appears behind a dumpster mm-hmm. in one scene, but it's a sheep, so it says, oh, bah. <laughs> Which is pretty funny because like, the artist is shepherd fairy, it's a sheep, you know. Yeah, so good. Oh, God, that's good. <laughs> we don't miss any opportunities. I know. Show. So good. Uh, another great one that I love, they do Olympia. They do Manet's Olympia, and oh, yeah. in it, Olympia herself is a shark. <laughs> 
<laughs> but what's really great is they do an anthropomorphized cat. So the cat that's on the bed in Olympia, like she's in a dress and she's <laughs> sitting there next to Olympia. That's hilarious. Oh yeah. And they do a lot of this where they take a art historical work, but they make it work for the world that they're living in. They make it work for this world of humans and animals, you know, like another really fun one that they do. They do Damien Hurst, the physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living, mm-hmm. which is his shark, the yeah, formaldehyde shark. Only the shark has <laughs> swim trunks on. <laughs> He's like smiling. Yeah, he yeah. looks so dorky. <laughs> because, yeah, in this world, a shark would be as much a part of the community as anyone else, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, they kind of have to alter it a little bit. So, yeah, it's just, it's so clever the way they take these images and they kind of transform them to make them work. And then they also find images that just naturally work really well. Like there is an example (laughs) where (laughs) there's a Franz Mark and like they don't have to change the painting at all because Franz Mark painted horses. (laughs) So like, isn't that the one that his mother gives him? Is that? I'm not sure. Okay. But yeah, they're just like images that work in this world as well like a famous horseman would of course want to have paintings of horses <laughs> like, <laughs> like it makes sense you know oh, yeah there's a matisse that is the matisse the dance of life oh yeah or, uh, yeah or well it's just called dance and in it there's like horses there's a bird i can't quite make out what the other animals are but yeah i think there's one's so- a cat yeah, there's so many. Oh my gosh. It's really fun. Everything from Rothko to the Franz Mark, Basquiat's in the office of Herb, the Herb Kazaz. Yeah. Herb Kazaz, <laughs> the creator of Horsin' Around. Anyway, and I think that a lot of credit goes to Lisa Hannavalt for having this creative freedom to horse around. she did it she went there (laughs) horsing around (laughs) we should we should put the theme song into the episode (laughs) we like blend it with ours somehow i know yeah that's i Um, I don't know (laughs) no yeah the interview with terry gross terry brings up just like how rare it is to have those kinds of theme songs anymore that explain what's happening in the show just like three Mm -hmm. orphans they got no home (laughs) orphan gonna raise them as his own or that that's not what the song says but i just made that up so that was good that was good the yeah the expository theme song like so 90s sitcom it's so perfect kind of what we've been saying throughout this whole episode like everything about even the way they do that i've thought a lot about bojack's character in horse and around and like the sweater he wears and how perfectly 90s that sweater is you know (laughs) all these little things are just so so good and they show so much cultural awareness of like a certain time in the united states what it was like or what or even just what the content we were producing was like you know yeah before we wrap up and do a listener mail though we haven't given any love and we have to give some love to todd chavez because he's like Mm. my favorite character 
I love Todd's character. I think he is just like such a lovely addition. And like, it's also fun because I mean, there are quite a few humans, but he's one of the few human main characters. And just his development throughout the show, it's like he is comedic relief, but at the same time, he's like a very real character, you know, that like you connect with. And then just like another, I think, great character arc that they did with the show is that Todd ends up being asexual, which is amazing because there isn't a ton of asexual representation in media. But also Todd's character, what I love about him so much is he's not like an asexual character. He's a character that happens to be asexual. So like they're giving representation and like a platform to this identity, but it's also not like centered. It's like he's a full fledged character that also happens to identify in a certain way, which is right. something that I think a lot of media just misses the fucking mark on. Like we tend to really miss the mark there. And I think Todd's a great example of getting it, you know? Yeah, it's done, and I've only seen a few episodes, but they bring it up in one of the episodes you guys told me to watch, and so I'm a little familiar. And I was just talking with someone the other day, we were talking about a different character in a different show, but it was a character whose sexuality is never talked about, but I had an interpretation, and then I found out that that's something that had been brought up by other people, and like the writer had been asked about it, and he was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I think there is something to that. But it wasn't like overstated. And that's like a less intentional way of doing it. But just, yeah, having like fully formed characters that don't need to be the 90s version of this is a white straight man. And this is a, you know, African-American straight woman. And this is a gay man. And we're going to make him mm -hmm. extremely archetypal yeah. of a gay man. And you're going to get it. And you're he will one hundred. You're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna get it. Um, and he will, he will one hundred percent have like a big coming out story too. Like that, yeah. that's a thing that's pervasive in media. If there is a character that is not heterosexual, basically, if there's a character that identifies as anything else, there has exactly. to be some like dramatic coming out story and like all of this. And I see why that served a purpose. But we're in a place now where we need. These fully formed characters like Todd's asexuality is something that I think is explored and represented in an interesting way, but he never has a huge coming out drama, you know, like it just is because right. that's people, you know, like, right. It's more of him just exploring what that means. And then he meets other peers mm. that are asexual which is fun. And then there's that crazy episode where his girlfriend or partner or whatever has the most insanely sexual family. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just like trying to keep it under wraps that, that they're asexual. <laughs> Shenanigans ensue. Situations, man. But yeah, just in general, like, I've just always loved that character because he's just so good hearted. Like, he's just such a warm, like, Pure. good person and friend. Yeah, I just, oh, I love Todd. I just want to give him a hug. Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. and I think that's and, the point of him. <laughs> yeah. And Bojack does not deserve him. Like, does no. not deserve Todd at all. <laughs> like, no. He's too pure. Yeah. Stay away from him. <laughs> I guess I do love Mr. Peanut Butter too. I have some love for Mr. Peanut Butter, but Yeah. Even Mr. Peanut Butter has his darknesses though. Which oh I, yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. Which I, which I like that they explored that. Damn. 
altogether, good show. <laughs> We're fans. So. <laughs> we give Bojack Horseman the art history babe's seal of approval. Definitely. If you're a fan of BoJack, please write in. Let us know your thoughts. I think we talked about just like a lot of really interesting topics in this episode. So would love to hear what you all have to think. Who's your favorite character? And what's your favorite art historical reference? Let us know. Let's do a quick listener mail. And we're going to reread the listener mail we actually did on our holiday episode because we had sound issues. We had to cut it. So we're going to read it again because it was just so good. So nice. You read it twice. Exactly. It was super good. So here we go. It comes to us from Martha. Hey, babes. What's that they say on the radio? Long time listener, first time caller. (laughs) Well, here goes. My husband and I have a small production natural wine distribution company out in the Mountain West. Think Idaho, Wyoming, Montana. Think few metropolitan areas, large swaths of land between. Think lots of time to kill driving the van. But thanks to you, those endless hours turn into a fulfilling, educational, damned good time. You have saved my sanity on numerous occasions. Thanks. I was compelled to write because of something in my inbox and the fact that an episode resonated so deeply with me. First off, I coincidentally received an email from this weekend's Wine Fest in Palm Springs the very same day I listened to Bring on the Bacchanal. On the advert for Golden Grapes, one is promised a Wine Weekend Bacchanalia. And though I don't think it will be as exciting, it should be really interesting and fun. There will be many of my favorite California winemakers chilling by the pool. At the very least, know that the spirit of Bacchus is at least partially alive and well. That's good to know. That is comforting. Secondly, thank you from the bottom of my spiteful little heart for your episode on Gauguin. When I was a kid, my family went to an exhibit at the Art Institute in Chicago detailing Gauguin and Van Gogh's tenure together in the Yellow House in Arles. It was an excellent presentation complete with a life-size replica of said building. Naturally, I was enchanted. The day started to sour, however, as my older sister and I began to understand Gauguin's abhorrent behavior toward our sweet, innocent Vinny. Needless to say, even as children, our viewpoint on the subject was solidified. Though at the time, we didn't grasp the seriousness or origin of our disdain. I immediately sent the episode her way, and we both thank you for providing such concrete ammunition for our continued embattled hatred for this vile, egocentric excuse for a human man. Fuck Gauguin, indeed. Hell yeah, Martha. Love it. Love it. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. I feel like that just hatred for Gauguin, it's just spreading and I love it. So good to see. It is. Our it is. our Anhelm Kiefer episode that just came out, which will have been out for a while at this point. We get into it again. We get back we into do. it. Again. Going through that and editing that, I was like, man, I had some feelings. Like <laughs> Yeah. Like I get, I get really mad. The keeper, we get back at you again. Like so, we come back around. <laughs> I've been thinking about the podcast. <laughs> Sometimes do. I do that, <laughs> and I just feel like no matter what we end up doing with this project, I will feel really good knowing that we have alerted the world <laughs> that right. Gogan was a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> 
Dude, <laughs> if that's, nothing else, we did that. Right? I also feel like we kind of made it okay to be like, hey, we're art historians and we have feelings about this and we're just going to be as raw and honest as possible because like even the people that don't like him still like to skirt around it and mm-hmm. the fact that we just i don't know i do i feel like we opened the gates to like it being okay to just feel mad and like feel angry about him and to just have feelings regarding it and not just be like oh I don't know. You know, like, yeah, I totally agree. I think that was a shift that needed to happen. And I'm glad we got to play a part in it, you know? (laughs) Me too. And I think also outside of just Gauguin, I would like to be in the camp of scholars that don't feel so driven by their professionalism that they can't have real feelings about terrible people in Mm -hmm. history. Amen. Exactly. Yeah, and I totally agree. Yeah, I think we're moving into an age of just authenticity and like feelings are real and they should be validated. There's no reason that you can't feel something in a scholarly context. Like you can do both. It's fine. (laughs) Art. Yeah. We, We studied art history academically, but it's still art. It's still based in feeling and human nature and like that you can't pull the human out of art. So stop crying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And why why does anyone want to? That's where I get confused. It's like people decided that objectivity is more important than feelings. Mm Truly, mm. I think that that's it. People associate no. objectivity with something more right. with like legitimate yeah. or just, yeah, exactly. Something more legitimate. That's yeah. A great way to put it. And it's just, well, um, we're, we're entering an age of authenticity. We want authentic subjectivity. That's what I want when hey. I'm thinking about art. Let's write a manifesto. Um, dude why not as we have said before every like at the beginning of the 20th century like white dude motherfucker was writing a manifesto like why can't we write a manifesto we write an (laughs) (laughs) anti-manifesto let's just uh we're gonna start a google doc or it's uh, a manifesto (laughs) a manifesto i like that oh man Uh, that would be oh. so good. The the art history babes manifesta. I kind of love that. <laughs> I kind of do too. Let's cut this out and write it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, um, and actually, Martha. Uh, yeah, was that Martha. The of, was that the end of her email? <laughs> Not quite. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Martha. <laughs> All right, Martha. Though I know performative art isn't your focus, I've always been really interested in the shadow puppet traditions of India, Indonesia, Cambodia, and Thailand. The objects themselves are so unique. I feel they stand as intricate pieces of art in their own right. Perhaps it'd be interesting to do some research, maybe just a brief. In any case, thank you again for your wonderful work and intoxicating spirits. My husband really likes how I constantly try to worm unrelated art tidbits into everyday conversation. (laughs) Oh, and thanks to Jared for putting your glorious podcast on my radar. Cheers, Martha. Thanks, Jared and Martha. Yeah. Thanks, Jared, for sharing. Is Jared husband? No, I think Jared's friend. I don't. I don't think so. Jared is just a good soul who shared us with someone, and we appreciate you, Jared. Hats off you, Jared. Jared. You literally keep us going. (laughs) For real. For real. Martha, this is such a great email. And like, I love hearing stories about people's younger experiences with art. 
And especially the fact that at a young age, you were able to like understand, you know, your spidey senses went off in regards to go gan. Like, that's great. That makes me really happy. (laughs) I hope that all young girls feel that way when they see his painting. I hope they all just get this like, ooh. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So good. The shadow puppet thing. I love that idea. It's something I know nothing about, but I think that could be so interesting. Well, and we talked about this when we did the holiday episode and we originally read this email, but let's talk about it again. (laughs) We would love to branch out, and I hate to even say branch out because we should have been doing it all along, but to non-Western art traditions and pay more attention to these things. And I didn't know anything about the Cambodian, Indonesian shadow puppet tradition. And I think that that would be so much fun to delve into. And I would like for us to start kind of seeing what else is out there outside of the main canon. And I think that we've done a pretty good job. Yeah, we definitely put effort into it. But we are also limited by, you know, where we are in the world, what we interact with, who we see. So like send us things like send us suggestions about things that interest you that are maybe a little bit off of the traditional Mm -hmm. western canon and we are happy to cover it we want to learn about the stuff as much as you guys want to hear about it so yeah and we love suggestions honestly so if you've just been itching to hear about it may be something that we've never even thought about so reach out send us an email let us know what you want to hear and we are happy to do it definitely and yeah we totally Love suggestions. Yeah, we get so many good ideas from you guys and we want to be able to cover as much as possible. I really like ideas like this where I literally know nothing about it. So I'll get to just dive into something completely new. And yeah, I I agree. It's super important. I think we've done an our right job, but we could definitely do a lot better in terms of expanding outside of the traditional Western canon of art history. Also, though, time and resources are limited, I guess, is the, is the best way to put it. So if you want to hear more stuff from us and want us to be able to cover more and more of these ideas, then please consider becoming a patron because then we'll be able to not only cover more of the stuff that is, you know, covered on your AP Art History exam, but we can also cover more of the stuff that is outside your general canon of art history. And we can do both and try and provide really as much content and as much of this, you know, crazy subject of art and art history as we can possibly cover. So if you want to help us in being able to make all of your suggestions come true and come true faster, please consider becoming a patron. I know I've said it before, but if all of our regular listeners became patrons at like the $1 level, we would be doing pretty all right. So like all of you patrons that are at the $1 level, you're making a difference. And we really appreciate that and you and we hope some of you will consider becoming patrons because it really makes all the difference in the world to what we're doing. It really does. And like, just for those of you who can't be a patron for whatever reason, like be a Jared, spread the word, like just tell <laughs> yeah. people, yes. be a Jared, share <laughs> our podcast with people who you think might be interested because that's another way to like help us out is getting us more listeners and just making people more aware 
that we exist. Um, mm-hmm. Five star reviews on iTunes are another great way to kind of help us get ahead. So all of these things, we really appreciate it. And we appreciate you guys taking the time and energy to support us in whatever ways you can. It really means a lot to us. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you for being patrons. Thank you for potentially becoming patrons. Thank you for your emails. Please keep them coming. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. We love <laughs> talking about it. This is fun. I really love hot take episodes. I like, know. I feel like we should do more of them. I think I we should it. too. Yeah. Because they always seem to tie back into art history. Absolutely. Which is w- one of our central messages is that everything ties into it so like yeah i'm with you i think we should do more hot takes if you think we should do more hot takes let us know give us a, a shout we would like to hear we know our value We're, we will do as many hot takes as we feel like <laughs> we know our value you should Not know our value it. but you should also know your value <laughs> <laughs> know everyone's value <laughs> know my value and know your value appraise We're all... yourself <laughs> We're all valuable, okay? <laughs> uh, oh, you man. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, check out all of our stuff. We have new great merch up as well. So check that out, arthistorybates.com. Yeah. YouTube is popping. Get over to our YouTube channel. Watch all those videos. Yeah, just thank you so much. We are very excited for what 2019 has come in. We're just very grateful for being able to make this content and for all of you lovely listeners and supporters you're just great and yeah we'll uh talk to you in the future bye 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 from Some love to um now I can't even think of his name. <laughs> um, I love him though. <laughs> <laughs>